0: Hi guys, my name is Jason Mountford and this is episode 28 of the UK Money Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today to to today's show, guys. It's always, always good to see those listener numbers increasing. It's kind of getting a little bit, not quite exponential, but I'm getting a lot more new listeners um, every week, which is, which is really, really great for me to see. And I think a, a big part of that has been to those of you who've been leaving a review on, on Apple on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling it these days. Um, I had quite a few reviews coming through last week after I, I gave out a little request for them. So that's been really nice to see. I have to especially give a shout out to JC Alex who left me um, some really nice comments on Apple Um which keeps me very motivated. It's really nice to hear that the content I'm putting out there is useful to you guys. Um, and if you feel like you're getting some value from it, um, if you could leave me a review, that would that would be awesome. I would really, really appreciate it. Now, in today's show, um, I've got a couple of really good questions that have come through from Danny and from Stephen. They've sent me an email at jason at jasonmountford.com, which is the easiest way to get in touch with me. Link of that is in the show notes If you if you forget. Um, and they've asked me some really interesting questions. One about capital gains tax, and one about pensions. But they are a—it's an in- interesting angle. I've not heard much of before, but it makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to be talking through that today. I'm going to be answering those questions and explaining uh, a couple of bits and pieces about CUT and about pensions that you might not have heard before. Now, obviously, this is called the UK Money Podcast. It's geared towards people who are living in the UK, but I am seeing a number of listeners from different countries around the world, which is interesting. So, probably a lot of expats, but um, especially the capital gains tax portion of of today's show is the, the concepts are quite broad. And I'm especially going to talk about cryptocurrency. I know I'm talking about that uh, more and more, um, but I, I just find it personally very interesting and it is an area that I'm seeing more and more people... Um, are investing in. Obviously, I can't recommend crypto as an advisor, so it's not something I do in my, on my professional day today. Um, but it, I think it is going to become more and more, rele- more, and more relevant. Um, uh, I think eventually it will be regulated. It will become part of um, the mainstream financial services not not at the moment um, but the concepts around this are, are really interesting when we're looking at buying and selling different assets but not directly buying or sorry selling them to your home currency so even if you are from somewhere else in the world other than the uk the first thing we're going to talk about is probably going to be a value so let's just let's just jump straight into it so The question that I've had from Danny, now the question he's given me isn't actually directly uh, about cryptocurrency, but he's basically looking at selling some stocks that he's got, so he's invested in some shares um, and he's obviously made some money in those, which is great, and he's now looking to basically sell the individual holding. And the question that he's given me is, when do I have to pay capital gains tax? Is it when I sell the asset into cash on the platform I've invested with? Or is it when I only only when I withdraw my money from the platform into my bank account? You know, if I reinvest into something different uh, in a short space of time, you know, do I still have to pay capital gains tax? And that's actually a really good question because you know, if you think about when we are looking to invest some money, kind of regardless of of um, which platform you're using, it feels to us like we invest that money when we transfer it from our bank account. Onto the investment platform, you know, in our, in the way my mind works anyway, is that when I've, when i when the money leaves my bank account, it's in, it's now invested. But actually, what happens, and you know, if you if you, if you think about this, it's it kind of makes sense. You know, the money is transferred from our own bank account um, into the bank account of the investment platform you're investing with. So it goes from a bank account from a bank account. So technically, at that point the money is on the platform, Hargreaves, Lansdowne or Vanguard or whatever, but if it's in cash, it's still a cash account, still a bank account in your name just with a different financial organisation. So at that point, you haven't actually invested any money. The money goes in cash onto the platform and you then buy shares or you buy an investment fund with, with that money. And at that point, then you have invested. And so when you actually um, sell that investment, even if the money doesn't come out of the platform, you have sold that investment. So, it is a capital gains tax event and this is going to be the case in most countries around the world. I know in Australia, this is, this is definitely the case. You know, It doesn't matter when the money ends up back in your bank account. It matters when you no longer own an asset. So, if you um, transfer money onto an investment platform, you buy some Apple, it's in cash, you buy some Apple shares with that cash, Once you sell those Apple shares and the money's back in cash on the investment platform, you have realized a capital gains event, whether that's a loss or a gain, or even if it's neutral, it still counts as a disposal at that point. So that is a really good question because it's something that if you have been investing for a little while is is, is quite intuitive, but if it's all brand new to you, you can, I can definitely see how that could be a bit of a, a blurry line. And it doesn't matter if you reinvest that money um, very quickly. Um, if you trade a 100 times a day, every single one of those trades is potentially a CGT event. Now, some slightly different rules. If you're trading as an income source, you could potentially get it taxed as income rather than capital gains. But broadly speaking, Every time you trade, you are either realizing a capital gain or a capital loss. Now, the reason why I have extrapolated this to cryptocurrencies because this is something that I've seen quite a bit of on Reddit and different places at the moment is the tax treatment of when you dispose of a cryptocurrency. And the reason why this is a bit more complicated is because in a lot of cases, you're not actually um, you're not actually selling into your own home currency. So if you hold hold um, any crypto really, Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever, quite often you don't directly sell Bitcoin to uh, pound sterling or Bitcoin to Australian dollars or Bitcoin US dollars. You know, often what happens is you sell Bitcoin to Tether or if you have like a, um, a More niche cryptocurrency, you might even have to go, you know, I don't know, something stupid like Shib, for example, Shiba Inu. If you, you might have to sell that to Bitcoin and then Bitcoin to Tether and then Tether to Great British Pounds or, um, or Aussie Dollars, whatever. So every step along that chain is actually a CGT event. So in that example, um, let's say it is Shiba Inu, you, um, you sell your Shiba Inu. You buy Bitcoin because you're doing a direct trade. That is a, a disposal of Shiba Inu at that point, so there's potentially CGT there, depending on how much you bought it for. Then, depending on how long you take, even regardless of how long you take, even if you do it straight away, there's likely to be a small change in the in the value of Bitcoin. You then sell the Bitcoin to you to a Tether USDT. That is a CGT event. You then sell the USDT to GBP or AED or USD or whatever you're transferring it to fiat. And that as well is a CGT event. So every single time you sell a cryptocurrency, regardless of where it is going, it is going to be classed as a CGT event. You can see why this could get really, really complicated with with keeping track. And I think this is going to be a bigger and bigger problem um, as time goes on because... Number one, a lot of people don't think of it this way. Number two, a lot of people trade uh, absolute shed load when it comes to, it comes to either stocks or cryptocurrency or anything. You know, it's very easy now to sit on your phone all day and make 400 trades, um, and you're not going to you're not necessarily going to keep track of all those. Now, depending on the platform you're using, you know, often platforms will have automatic reporting that will be able to spit out your total gain or loss for the year. Um, but especially with cryptocurrency, that's that's much less likely. Um, and the other thing that makes it complicated is that you have to obviously pay taxes in your current the currency of your home country. So um, every time one of those transactions happens, the tax is calculated on the equivalent Home country value. So, just to make things really simple, um, if you uh, bought, Bit- if when you buy, if you bought and sold Bitcoin, the cost base is the value of Bitcoin in your home currency. So, in the UK, it'd be pounds sterling. So, whatever the value in Bitcoin in in British pounds was when you bought it, that's your cost base, and then whatever the value in Great British pounds when you sold it that is the, that is the sale price. And again, if you're doing like a train a chain of transactions, the, the um, exchange rate between GBP and all of those different cryptos is going to be changing all the time. So it's really complicated if you're if you're doing a lot of trades and especially if it's been quite a long time, if your record keeping hasn't necessarily been that good, um, you know, not only do you need to keep track of what you bought and sold, um, how much you bought and sold it for, what the fees were that you paid, all that sort of stuff. But you also need to keep track of what was the the value for all those trades in your home currency, in GBP or in USD or AUD the whole time. So there are services that are started to pop up that kind of aggregate a lot of this stuff. They link up with a lot of the major platforms that can do this for you. Um, but it is just something to be very aware of. Uh, it's also... If you're looking at cryptocurrency in terms of staking, so if you've not heard of this before, um, without going into loads of details, effectively where you can earn interest on your on your cryptocurrency, and interest is very much the same as you know interest you would earn on the bank or dividend you would earn from shares, in that you pay income tax on that, you don't pay capital gains tax because it is income, so you pay income tax. So, because of the nature of cryptocurrency. Uh, especially, but also shares, um, depending on whether you're sticking with large caps or looking at small caps, that sort of thing, you could get a quite a bizarre situation where if you're staking a very high risk um, investment and you're earning a very high yield on that investment. So, you know, some of these really miniature cryptocurrencies can be paying like 10, 15, 20% um, in, in income in staking rewards. So, you know, you could get the situation where you are liable for income tax on that. So, whenever that is paid, you're liable in income tax in whatever the equivalent in in your home currency is. But then, obviously, the the actual capital value of that investment could be incredibly volatile. So, you know, hypothetically, you could get to a point where you've received income in, in the form of staking rewards. Because you've received that income, you've paid tax on it. If you don't immediately convert that income to a fiat currency, And the crypto that you're holding goes to zero, hypothetically speaking, you could be taxed on that asset, on income tax rates, it goes to zero, you've actually made no money because the income you received was in whatever cryptocurrency it was, um, but you're still liable to be paying income tax on that. So you can you can obviously then carry forward that capital loss. So that is a capital loss on your book. So you can offset, offset that against future capital gains. Um, but I guess the, the point I'm trying to make is I know that a lot of this is potentially a bit confusing, but basically my point is is that if you're going to go crazy and do a million trades, whether you're talking about crypto or stocks or whatever, you just have to be aware that you're not going to get away from paying tax. Now, there are Capital gain. Sorry, there are tax allowances. So if you're just doing this on a very small scale, your your risk is obviously lower. You know you should still be keeping track of it because you never know when it might uh, one of the holdings might blow up and put you outside of those uh, outside those limits. But you know you are not necessarily going to have to pay tax on on everything that you move around. But it's still uh it's still an event and you could still potentially be paying tax on it so if you're someone who is on the phone every day you're buying and selling and you're just even if it's just for a bit of fun you're not necessarily doing it with a load of money you know just keep in mind that it is an investment it is an asset class that is no different in a lot of ways to whether you're buying and selling investment properties or whether you're buying and selling um, large cap stocks like BP and Apple and Tesla and um you know HSBC that sort of thing you know all the rules still say all the same rules still apply and HMRC or the Australian tax office or whoever is definitely going to want to get their cut and you um just to yeah it's just something to be aware of that there is um the tax the tax person will always be there to make sure they're getting a cut of any of your wins so thank you very much, Danny, for sending that through. Great question. Great, great question. If you guys, again, have any questions yourself, if this has made you think, oh, actually, that reminds me. I'm not sure what to do with X, Y, Z for me. Get in touch with me, jason at jasonmountainvolt.com. Let me know your questions. Um, I'm really interested to hear them. Um, and I think it's providing heaps of great content for, for other people who are listening. So on to question number two. Question number two has come through from Stephen. And Stephen... Um, has got a question about pensions and he said he's in a in a fortunate position of being a director of a reasonably successful business so making makes regular payments into sip and understands that up to 40000 pounds can be put into this sip without any tax implication however this is interesting however my accountant has highlighted that this 40000 pound allowance includes any increase in the sip's value which would mean that the sip should the SIPs value go up by £20,000 in a year, I would only contribute £20,000 that year before being taxed on the contribution. I've never heard of that before, um, and that is not not the case, um, because that would cause a world of problems for a lot of different people. So I can potentially see where uh, Stephen's accountant has got a little bit confused. But let's start by just recapping what the... Uh, rules are here that, that Stephen's talking about, and that is the forty thousand pound annual allowance. So, if you've got a, uh, if you're if you're working, well, even if you're not working actually, um, you can put money into a pension scheme, and you get tax relief on that contribution. The tax relief you get will depend on whether you're a basic rate taxpayer or a higher rate taxpayer. But broadly speaking, you can pay into your pension the amount up to the amount you are earning that year. So if you are someone who is on a salary of 30,000 pounds, you can put up to 30,000 pounds into a pension scheme. Now, importantly, that includes tax relief. So, if you are it includes the tax relief at source. So if you're putting in um well, let's just use the, the, the 40,000 um, pound figure. If you're putting in 32,000 pounds, that figure gets grossed up. So that's the equivalent of a equivalent of a refund of the tax that you would have paid. So if you put in 32,000 pounds, it gets grossed up by the uh, basic rate tax. So that's 32,000 divided by 0. 0.8 and then that grosses that up to 40,000 pounds. So on 32,000 pounds, you get 8,000 pounds tax relief. So Whilst the tax, the, the limit, sorry, is the annual allowance is £40,000, the amount you can actually put in of your own money in that case is £32,000. Now, there are other rules around that. It's not the same for everybody. So, if you're a very high income earner, that gets tapered down. Um, if you uh, earn no income, you can, put, you can still put some money in. You can put up to £2,880 of your own money, which gets grossed up to £3,600. But broadly speaking, if you are, um, if you are in a wage earning job, the majority of people will be able to put in up to the amount they earn, up to forty thousand pounds gross, so including tax relief. Now, again, if you haven't used previous year's allowance, you can carry forward some of that, and that sort of thing. But for now, let's just we'll just look at this forty thousand pound limit as a kind of standalone thing. Now, um, Stephen's accountant has said that that includes any growth within the SIP, which doesn't make sense because um you can imagine somebody who's got a sizable pension balance they would that would mean that they would in good years they would be absolutely smashing through their pension annual allowance um without really without really trying you know if someone had 800,000 pounds in a in a pension scheme in a sip something like that um and they got a 5% return You know, that's it. That's their full annual allowance used. You know, in a good year, if they got a 15% return, they've tripled their annual allowance. Uh, It doesn't work like that. So it definitely doesn't. Any growth in the SIP definitely doesn't count towards the annual allowance. Now, where I think potentially. Um, Stephen's accountant has, has gotten a little bit confused here is that it does count towards your lifetime allowance. So lifetime allowance is something I don't talk about as much simply because the um, percentage of people that are listening to this podcast who it's relevant for is probably reasonably low. Um, for now, for now, I think um, a lot of the people listening to this are younger people who've still got a lot of time left in the workforce. So for, for a lot of you guys listening, it will be relevant at some point but I don't like to talk about things too far in the future because the government likes to fiddle with the with the rules plenty. So over the next 20, 30 years, these rules will undoubtedly change. But the lifetime, lifetime allowance is effectively the amount you can have in a pension scheme or in combined in, in a range of different pension schemes um, before you pay penalty tax on it. Now, at the moment, the lifetime allowance is just over a million pounds. I've actually looked up the actual specific amount. Well, I had. I've lost it now what is it for memory? It's 1,073,100 pounds, I think. Um, I have to look it up because it goes up by inflation every year. Well, most years it goes up by inflation, so it's always a a weird number. Um, But for argument's sake, I say it's just over a million pounds because it's easier to do explanation figures. But effectively, if you have more than a million quid in your pension scheme, um, when you crystallise that, you pay penalty tax. So, pension income money you take from the pension once you retire is taxable. You still get your personal allowance, that sort of thing, but you will potentially pay tax when you withdraw money from your pension when you are over retirement age. Um, The issue is that if you have over that that lifetime allowance amount, you will pay an additional amount of of tax. Now, that will be different depending on how you access the money. It's either 25% or 50%, um, depending on whether you take it as an income or a lump sum. Uh, sorry, not fifty percent, fifty-five percent. Anyway, the, the you pay quite a high amount of additional tax if you are over that amount. Now, in that case, that is based on the value of your pension scheme once you're crystallising it. So, once you are converting it to an annuity or converting it to flexi access drawdown or taking some of the tax-free cash, anytime you access the money in any way, a whatever proportion you're taking out or moving or, or converting is what's called crystallized. So they look at the value at that point and then um, assign that a percentage to the annual allowance. So once you've hit 100%, once you've used up, you've crystallized the full amount of your annual allowance, you'll pay additional tax on anything above that that you take out. So when it comes to that, yes, growth is included in that. So you know, if you get if you put in five hundred thousand pounds into your pension scheme over your over your life and you get another six hundred thousand pounds in growth on that, then the full amount, the one point one million, once you're crystallizing it, that will all count towards your lifetime allowance. So that's potentially where Stephen's accountant has has got things a little bit mixed up. But no, the growth doesn't count towards your annual. But this does lead to an interesting point, which is about the potential for paying additional tax from a pension scheme. And and like I said, you know, I think you have to be wary about planning too far in advance because the rules are likely to change. But it's another one of the reasons why, you know, whenever I'm talking to people about younger people, people in their 20s or 30s about saving into a pension scheme, you know, generally speaking, I think saving into a pension is a good idea. It's got a lot of tax benefits, obviously. You get tax relief. You can't access it. So, it's built in. Um, the right investment behaviours are built in. You can't Uh, You can't pinch the money out early if you uh, want to upgrade your car or something unnecessary like that. Um, So there's a lot of benefits to pensions, but the problem is, is if if you start going too hard too early, you're going to smash through that one million pound limit. And a a one million quid might seem like an insane amount of money, especially if you are on, you know, if you're early on in your in your working life. And you know, it is a lot of money, but given a long enough time frame. It's really not difficult to actually achieve that. Um, you know, if you're in your early 20s and you're retiring in your late 60s, you are easily going to be over a million quid, even if you just start putting a fairly modest amount into your pension scheme. Um, so it's one of the reasons why, whenever you're looking, if you've got spare cash flow and you're looking to uh, looking to maximise your financial position, it's really important to be considering all angles of where you put your money so there's obviously wherever is is going to be the most tax effective right now so um you know Uh, if you're comparing somewhere that's putting a bunch of money in a taxable account, like a general investment account, that's obviously going to be bad potentially for your income tax next year or your capital gains tax, depending on how it's invested. So it's important to manage your like immediate tax position by where you choose to invest. It's important, but it's also important to consider the long-term tax position. So where might you eventually get to with the way that you're investing your money? And then it's also important to consider the access to that money. So, um... You know, with with the pension contributions, I, I never really recommend anybody just solely focus on pensions over the long term. You know, in a short space of time, sometimes it can be worth worth doing. If you're someone who's got a lot of carry forward available, um, and you're uh, you know trying to minimise IHT position, things like that. You know, there's times where over you know three or five years, it can be worthwhile really focusing on one particular wrapper or one particular area of your financial financial um, setup. But broadly speaking, I think it's always worth um, hedging your bets between where you're investing your money. You know, ISAs don't have a lot of those, um, restrictions. There's no, there's the annual limit of putting money into an ISA, but there's no lifetime limit. So, ISAs can be a lot more lower risk in terms of, um, in terms of tax over long term. But again, you know, we don't know what the future rules will be. So, if you went and smashed every single penny into your ISA, number one, you're missing out on the tax relief on the way in. So, you got less money actually in the pot to invest. Um, but then who knows, in 30 years' time, the government might say, you know what, ICEs are no longer tax-free, they're now tax-effective tax, um, tax effective or, you know, tax, get a tax discount or something. So, you know, maybe you don't pay basic rate at 20%. In an ICE, you pay basic rate at 10%, something like that, you know there's always going to be legislative risk with everything that you're investing in so by spreading the different ways you invest you're reducing the chance that the, that legislative risk is going to mess mess with your plan and this is just a, another really good example of that and you know I just want to add on these two points really is that you know there is a lot of um, um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding often about what value a financial advisor is um, provides and a lot of people uh, expect that the idea is that a financial advisor invests your money into investments that provide a better return than what you could do by yourself and in some cases that may be the case if you are new to investing you're not uh, you know not comfortable investing in Range of different asset classes, you're keeping things too narrow. You know, there are cases where a financial advisor can invest better than you can. There are also cases where potentially there's not a lot of difference. Um, where I think we add the most value is in these sorts of details. So, you know, the actual wrapper that is used and the actual investment funds that are used, broadly speaking, um, there's a lower amount of value that we add in that space. I still think we add value, but where we really provide the Benefit for your fees is around a lot of this stuff. So, planning forward 30, 40 years, planning forward 10 years, five years, whatever, looking at the different ways you potentially will need to access your money and managing the tax amongst all those things. Not only to look at um, minimizing your income tax, but looking at the capital gains tax position, looking at how that will impact your lifetime um, allowance position, your pension position. Because something I forgot to mention is that if you don't ever crystallise your pension, you get a lifetime allowance tax charge at 75. So HMRC says, you know what? You've got a lot of money there in your pension. We've never had any tax from it. So at age 75, we're just going to tax you on it as if you were withdrawing it. So you get a massive lump tax charge at age 75. So again, our job is to look forward to that not look forward to it, as in look forward to it, but project forward to that and say, okay, well, based on the rules today, what is your likely lifetime allowance tax charge at age 75? 140 grand, whoop. Okay, let's try and see what we can do to massage things that maybe you pay a little bit of income tax now, but it avoids this massive LTA at age 75. Same with the capital gains tax stuff at the start of this episode. Um, You know, our job is to manage all of that for you and that is where we provide the real value. It's about looking at your lifestyle, looking at what it is you need your money for. You know, Do you need that money in a regular monthly drip feed in your bank account to fund your lifestyle? Do you need lump sums every five years to replace cars or whatever? Do you need another big lump sum when you're turning 60 and you want to go, go on a around the, around the world cruise? And not only do you have that money available, can you afford to do those things, but what's going to be the most tax-effective vehicle to actually fund that? Because it may be that there is a particular way that we can make sure you've got those lump sums available that is really tax effective if you're accessing the money in that particular way, but really not tax effective if you're trying to take a monthly withdrawal. So if you are on the fence about speaking to a financial advisor, you think, you know, I'm getting pretty good returns on my money anyway. Um, Yeah, definitely. I can see that if all you're doing is straight investment into a general investment account, there's probably a limited amount of value that a financial advisor can offer. If actually like 99% of people, your circumstances are a bit more complicated than that, and you're using different tax wrappers, and you're going to need money in different, uh, you know, in, in various different ways for various different things. It's always worth having a chat um, to to someone like myself because, you know, there are even just programs that we can use. We've got some really um, fancy software that allows us to put in all this stuff, prints out a bunch of pretty pictures, and. That we can we can work through um, because at the end of the day, you know, I, I do always say this but it's important to keep in mind that your you know, money is just a tool to live the life you want. It is all this stuff about saving tax, about maximising income and. Um, you know, managing your capital gains tax position, all that stuff. Like, it, you know, it's a game that is designed to make sure you have as much money as possible to do the things that you want to do, to be able to spend the money on your kids, to be able to go on the travel that you want to do, to be able to live in the kind of house that you want to live in. You know, that's what we're all getting to. And at the end of the day, all the financial planning, all the tax planning, all the structures that we use should be funneling towards that life that you've got mapped out for yourself. So guys, that is the episode for today. I really appreciate, as always, I really appreciate you listening in. If you have a question that you'd like me to answer on the podcast, it's Jason at jasonmountford.com. And just one last little reminder, if you could drop me a five-star review on the Apple Apple Podcasts um, app, if that's what you use, um, that would be awesome. If you feel like you could add a couple of comments about how amazing I am, that would be even better. That would make my day, make my week. Um, and other than that, I'll speak to you next week.